Hello and welcome to another virtual author chat at the Poison Pen Bookstore. Today the Poison Pen is delighted to have with us author Jerry Croto, whose new book is A Santa Stabbing. Before we begin, I do want to let those tuning in know that the Poison Pen does have copies of Jerry's new book, and we would be delighted to hold one or more for you to pick up in the store or put them in the mail and get them out to you. Just give us a call at the Poison Pen or go online. And now I'd like to welcome Jerry. Hi, it's great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. We're delighted to have you with us for the first time at the Poison Pen. I think many readers are always fascinated, at least I am, by who an author was before they became published. So <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell us about Cherry? And I know hmm. you have a pretty impressive resume in your background. Um, it depends who you're telling. Thank you for saying that, but it depends who you're talking to because um, yeah, I served in the military for nine years, uh, active duty as a Naval Intelligence Officer. And I was in uniform for 13 years because I went to the Naval Academy. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, in uniform all four years there. I'm, I'm really grateful to have that um, experience behind me. And I always wanted to serve my country. So it was a natural fit. Um, and I, I owe the Navy my writing career because I was on watch during it was the war on drugs and meaning on watch like 12 hours on 12 hours off and it was the middle of the night it was like three in the morning and um somebody i worked with asked me if you could do anything if money wasn't an object what would it be you know besides the navy or whatever and i i didn't even hesitate i said that i would be a writer and um actually what i said was i'd be barefoot with hair down to my ass writing uh, I said romance novels at the time because that's where I my goal was to break in that way and of course all my books always have a twist in them always a little too twisty maybe um, but at any rate I'm digressing yeah I served as an intelligence officer and then when I got out it was to pursue a fiction writing career but also we had one child already my husband is also a Naval Academy grad he was a year ahead of me and um, and he made it a career and I just, I'm the kind of person I couldn't be torn between. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want the worry of both of us being deployed. And that's why I never went in the reserves. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have asked me that it would have been lovely to keep serving once a month and two weeks a year, but is intelligence and the way things unfolded in the world, I would have been called the active duty as much as my husband on active duty. So it wasn't a way to really raise a family for us, you know, and so I made the decision to stay home full-time. So in doing that, I was writing as full-time as I could and, you know, supporting my husband's career, which is a military, a Navy family moving around and he was gone in the war and, and all those things. And, and I just want to give a shout out to ever, anyone who's serving now or has served. Thank you. Um, there's a lot of spouses serving yeah. male and female alongside their kids. And if you're a writer and you're, you know, you're a, spouse writer keep going for it because um you know the experiences I gained living all over the world and just in America you know in the microcosm of the military plus going through these life-altering events like realizing when you said goodbye your husband might not come home or your wife might not come home mom might never come back again that's yeah the the gravitas of that I guess kept me grounded and added um added some meet to my writing mm -hmm. yeah so you decided to become a writer and i think it's yeah. safe to say that you were not an overnight sensation in publishing 
Um, so I found um, a writing group, Romance Writers of America, which um, didn't exist. It, it broke up and I guess now they're reforming. Um, I found them in 1999 and it was a, a great way to network. And so mm -hmm. I, I had a completed manuscript by then, but um, I didn't start submitting till 2000. It took me six years of rejections before I actually was bought by Harlequin. I won um, an international contest they had along with um, two people who remain dear friends of mine, Tracy Wolf, who's the author of the Crave series, which has international success now. It's a YA vampire uh, romance series. And then my other friend, Linda Cardillo, who um, has written very evocative women's fiction. And so the three of us won that contest. And so I was, I sold in 2006 and the, my first book, which now would be classified, I think is women's fiction, World War II, um, came out in 2007. And I was, yeah, and Harlequin put me, I was supposed to be in what was going to be a trade paper back line. That didn't happen. The line, it was announced that the line was closing before it, my book even came out. So I got rolled into super romance and then I um, wrote many books for them, but I just, I was adding too much suspense to my stories. So then I made a dash for um, a bid to get into Harlequin's, one of their suspense lines. And I, you know, I was rejected in-house at Harlequin for many different lines. Um, and it's, it's not a, a victimhood or poor me thing. It's just, you know, your writing either is what like they need or- yeah, it either clicks or it doesn't. And um, and I feel that I fit really well in Harlequin romantic suspense, but my agent did notice that my proposals were getting more and more um, mystery, less romance. Um, I'll always have romance in my books because I'm of the opinion there's romance in every story. Um, it's part of life. But I also, um, it was just time to make the change. So no, no overnight success. I'm very blessed that my... Um, agent that I met, Tracy Wolf introduced us. She introduced us twice. She introduced us and in, right when I first sold, so maybe 07, 08, but I, I thought, oh, you know, I don't, I don't have the chops yet. I always had this feeling that I had to give myself my own apprenticeship because I don't have a degree in English. Mm -hmm. um, both my degrees are uh, masters of, you know, science or bachelors and masters of science, because that's what the Navy told me to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so Long story short, the second time Tracy introduced me to my agent, I was at another big writing conference, New York City, 2015. And I wanted to go up to my room and take a nap because of the overload of all the people. And I got a text from Tracy and she said, meet me in front of the concierge to meet Emily in 15 minutes. Do not blow me off because <laughs> she knew me. I would be like, no, no, she won't want me. Well, anyway, Emily has been... Um, my agent's a, a true business partner and trusted colleague, and I wish that for every writer. And that's how we got here with the mystery, because she was, you know, she kept saying what I was writing and said, why don't you try mystery? And here we are. Um, I think I had read somewhere, this leads us to your new book, A Santa Stabbing, that mm -hmm. after writing so many romantic suspense novels, you had become used to including dead bodies in your books. I so mystery was the next logical step for you. Yeah, I don't know how to have a story without a dead body. And it's not flippant, you know. Mm. Um, I think what I'm what I'm learning, I just got asked to speak on a panel. It'll be in a couple of weeks at Penn State 
uh, it'll be the Penn State Harrisburg extension. Um, a, this, a professor, um, Shanti, and I can't think of her last name right now. Uh, it's it's on my website. She's done. A, she wrote a book, a nonfiction book about justice for females, specifically female felons, and you know how justice is served in our society and how it affects women. Um, but it really got me thinking about. And then being a member of Sisters in Crime, there's a lot of discussion about this too. Is about what does justice mean to everybody and um, just like in a romance, there's the happily ever after, I need to have the justice at the end of a mystery. And I, I think that's why I like the dead body part because I like that the protagonist is gonna really come up against some, you know, somebody who's committed evil, whether it was by accident or premeditated or what, however, and um, justice needs to prevail for the person that died. So I, I love that part of it. What can you tell us about your new book, A Santa Stabbing? Well, I did draw on what I knew a little bit and that my protagonist, Angel Warren, was a helicopter pilot in the Navy. I was not a pilot. I fought getting motion sick. Whenever I'd go up, I did earn aviation observer wings, which basically just means I put the time in flying and memorized at the time circuit breakers, all that's electronic now, um, in a P-3 aircraft. But uh, we were prosecuting Soviet submarines, which yeah. I think the Russians are still driving some of those, but I'm <laughs> out of the field now. <laughs> um, so there's much smarter people than me working those issues. Um, yeah, so I had Angel Warren and I knew um, my characters come to me first and I knew she was going to return to her hometown. And her hometown is based on, it's a fictionalized version of where I live in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is actually a large town. There's a borough and then like my zip code's Mechanicsburg, but I don't live in the actual town proper. I live out in a true suburb um, of it. And so Angel comes back after 20 some years and you know, I understand how it feels to come back to the States and to settle down and, and the longing for that when you're, some, it's not always there while you're globe trotting, but it, it, at a certain point, I know for me, in my gut, I knew it's time to go back. And, and as much as I love my husband and supported his career, I prayed he wouldn't get another promotion. I didn't really, but I thought, oh, I really want to settle down and, um, and just, it's time to, to have some roots. Mm -hmm. And so Angel comes back. Um, and the unique thing about Angel, she lost her husband six years ago. He died of a horrible rare cancer. And so she's coming back as a single mother with two twin daughters who are, who are off to college as soon as they come back. And that happened to me in real life. My, our oldest went off to college as soon as we came back to the States after years abroad. So um, I could relate to that. But Angel's a lot different than me. She's a lot, um, she's bolder. She's more um, inquisitive outwardly, and she's not going to take guff from anyone. And she also has to learn that, you know, she was gone. She missed out on some things with her family. Um, I tried to inject some humor into it. And the best way I know to do that is with pets and animals. We have a yellow-naped Amazon parrot that is uh, 34 years old. We've had him since he was two. He's moved everywhere with us except Russia because I was, when we were stationed in Belgium, he was there with us also in Italy. But when we were, it was ready to come back from Belgium to the States, we had bird flu. So I was afraid he couldn't come back, but he's been everywhere with us. So I wanted Angel to have a similar pet. 
and Ralph, who's her pet parrot, plays a significant part in this first book. So Angel comes back and is fulfilling a dream that she and her husband, who's deceased, had to open a curio shop, gift shop, that to share all the international trinkets that they found around the world and also to be able to bring like tastes of different cultures to such you know a homegrown American place to give people an opportunity to just at least get a glimpse of some of what they feel was a privilege to see with their family. But of course, she um, stumbles over a dead body in her storage room uh, before the shop even opens. And so, um, and her, and it turns out her best friend is from high school is now the lead detective for the local police force. Um, they had drifted apart. And so how their relationship, you know, is it gonna go back to being best friends? And if it does, obviously they're both grown women now, you know, what can they share? and and contribute to the relationship and bring to the table. That's all part of it too. And then Angel's relationships with her family and then the love interest too. There's a love interest, of course, in the coffee shop, so. Um, the book is set around the holiday time and you do have those kind of Christmas traditions woven in, but the hook for your series is, this is not just a Christmas kind of thing. It's about different holidays and different traditions. Right, so I wanted Angel's shop to represent any culture she had witnessed, you know, or seen. So I have the shop full of all kinds of things from like the Russian Santas, um, which are in Russia, they're called um, Dzeds Moroz, which is the father of snow. And they're beautiful wooden sculptures. They're, they're works of art um, and, and they're heavy. And I should have brought one up here to, to show you. I, I brought some back from when we were stationed in Russia and, and that always means Christmas in our house when I bring those out and set them around and um, and she has um, a collection of those and um, that is perceived to be the murder weapon actually as a broken a wooden stake through the heart I was thinking you know obviously I'm a Dracula fan um, <laughs> so at any rate um, I also I incorporated some Diwali linens and the bright colors of that and um, any, just because like where we live here, our subdivision is so um, multinational and diverse. And I, it's great because I get to experience all the different holidays. And it reminds me of being in the military and overseas. And you learn about all these different traditions people celebrate that I had no idea of, you know, I just knew the traditional American um, Judeo-Christian type holidays and and those are wonderful and worthwhile to celebrate too so I have yeah I try to do a little bit of everything um, and and I'm really blessed because my editor at Thule who's the publisher for this book Sinclair is married um, to an Indian so um, she was happy to see Diwali mentioned and um, and keeps me straight too so that I don't make any mistakes because I am not a of that culture and it's easy to make mistakes out of ignorance and that's no excuse these days. Mm -hmm. um, a Santa stabbing is classified or marketed as a cozy mystery. Mm -hmm. um, I would like if you can to have you describe what you perceive to be a cozy mystery and to be honest I'm a bit surprised because given your previous books I would have thought you'd have gone <laughs> into like dark suspense or national <laughs> intrigue or something like that. Why yeah. cozies? Uh, I think because my strength as a writer, um, well, so my definition of a cozy 
-hmm. There's the dead body and there's nothing cozy about murder. I think what really defines a cozy is the community. And that's mm -hmm. why they're so popular series because as a reader, I know when I read cozies, I'm going back for the community and to see what's going on, what's happened with so-and-so, the protagonist, if there's a love interest, has that progressed? And I'm always curious as to how the murders will be solved differently depending on how the relationships have developed. Plus it's just a feeling of security to go back to a community that I feel I've been in before. As readers, you know, we live in these communities. And so I really enjoy creating that too. I don't know how not to create a community or a series. Um, I was a little nervous about the cozy classification because I think I'm cozy with an edge. Um, but there are plenty, of, you know, cozy is a wide range. It's a little bit wider range now of mm -hmm. what's allowed and what's, and it's not even a matter of allowed. It's, it's what readers will handle. Like Louise Penny definitely does not write cozy in terms of the, the murders and, you know, the high concept topics that she tackles. And yet the cozy mm -hmm. part of her book is going back to Three Pines and Spectre Gamash just feeling so familiar with all the people there and Ruth with her her goose or duck on her lap. And, you know, that's what I go back for. I don't go back for the murder, although I'm always interested to see what the author is going to plan next. You've written a lot of books, more than 25 novels um, and counting. Has your writing process changed over the years, especially when it comes to writing a mystery? Because there needs to be you need to kind of plop the clues out. You need, you can't, I guess some writers can just wing it, but what's your <laughs> yeah. approach to writing? Um, well, what I've found in writing mysteries is if I wing it, I'm going to have extensive revisions, which I oh. have right now on one book, which is okay because that's part of the process. Um, I would say that in many ways I've circled back to where I originally was. I would have told you I was a pantser and wrote by the seat of my pants, but I never really have. In my head, I always have the plot. The characters come first. So the characters inform the plot for me. It's and they can do that in, in women's fiction and romance. Not in mystery, not really. They can inform the justice. They can inform the ending and discovering the murder but they can't inform that that whole the mystery plot. And so I have to have that mystery plot nailed down, which is why then when I go to, like I have, like I was mentioning, I have some revisions, which will only make the book so much better. The mystery, the mystery part and the murder part, that's that's nailed down. Like that's that's not the issue. The issue is how the characters are reacting. Um, what do I do I want, you know, what do I want to see going forward in a series? So um that is, um, so the difference for me is that, yes, I, I can't just, you know, pound away at it. Now, I will say I had, I've had two series, I think. Yeah, I had my Whidbey Island series for Harlequin Super Romance, more women's fiction style. And then I had, although there were dead bodies in those too. <laughs> um, and then I had the um, Silver Valley PD series, which is locally set in its romantic suspense. Um, those I could sit down, I still would have, a. I would know what the plot was, but I would have to sit down and it, it takes me a couple chapters to know my characters, but because I'd be going back to the same characters, then it's a matter of, okay, where are you now? What, what's happened since the last time we sat down together? 
Um, so that's helpful, but yeah, I can't just wing it anymore. Um, the other thing is I don't tolerate, everybody always talks about writing the crappy first draft. I can't tolerate that as well. I do have a, an awful first draft. I don't, I, I don't let the internal editor drive how I'm writing. Um, and by that, for readers, I mean that inner critic that's telling me, oh, nobody's going to want to read this, or that's terrible, or that's a poor word choice. Look, I can, I can use the thesaurus later. Um, but I can't just go off into the either, because then I'll go into a rabbit hole, and that's wasted time and energy. Um, and the reality is, I'm 15 years older than when I sold that first book. I'm, you know, 22 years older than when I first started submitting books. To sit in a chair and do the work that it requires takes physical, mental, spiritual energy that I want to be judicious with that. Um, you know, I don't know how long these hips are. You know, I hope my hips will, will allow me to sit or stand and write well until my 90s or 100s, but I don't know. So I need to keep that as healthy as possible, which means don't waste time on dribble, you know, make sure that each day I'm, I'm moving forward, even though sometimes it feels like swimming through jello. Mm. Um, you've written um, more than 25 books, you've been writing for more than a decade or so. What have you learned now as a writer that you wish you knew when you were first starting out? Oh, boy, I I've uh, learned that I have to do the internal work on myself to know what I want and to trust my inner author voice and to not be swayed, um, no matter how impressive or how powerful um, different people can be in publishing, the bottom line always comes back to the story. What's my story on the page? Is it something I'm proud of? Is it... Um, because honestly, I don't feel my stories are any of my business. That's going to sound weird. I need to get out of the way so the story can get on the page. And then, and then it is my job to do my darnest to get what I've been, the vision I've been given in my head to get that to reflect on the page. But then I need to get out of the way. Let the professional editors at it. Let that work be done. Yet at the same time, um, if my gut's telling me, oh, this isn't really what I want to be doing, I need to listen to it. And once I did listen to it, so much has opened up for me so much. And it continue, you know, it, it, it evolved while I was at Harlequin too, because it opened up into more the hardcore suspense. And, um, and Harlequin allowed me to write series with whole communities, which, you know, I treasure that. Um, I don't know a lot of places that would have given me that um, breath to do that before I had proven myself as a writer. Um, and I wish I had told myself to just relax a little bit. Um, but I, I think I've always been pretty good at just following my gut. Um, when indie publishing took off with contemporary romance, I was at a particular conference where so many people I know dove headfirst into that and many of them had great, great success. Could I have maybe, but I knew in my gut, that's not for me, my job's to write. I'm too much of a perfectionist and control freak. Um, and, and so I'm grateful I followed that. That's not a lesson I had to learn, but I wish that I would have known to just don't apologize for who I am and how I'm writing and how my career's progressing. It is what it is. You know, it's one book at a time. And for the record, cause I do have an ego, um, this is book 34. So. Oh, good. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Book 34 and 36 or 37 have been written. The um, There's three books for this series already. Okay. So this first book is obviously out now, A Santa Stabbing, followed by um, book two in April of 2023. And then later in 2023 will be book three. So, That's great. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes for people that don't read in the romance genre and aren't familiar with publishers, there's this misperception of Harlequin as being yes. slightly less than when in yes. reality it's actually a very vibrant, very rich yes. you know, source of stories for authors. And absolutely. Uh, you found it, are you going to continue to write for them or are you kind of shifting gears now? I'm shifting gears into mystery, um, obviously. 100% and cozy um, but I would never say never because it's mm -hmm. about story and I don't know what story could be dropped in my lap tomorrow that would need a new home um, yeah I wouldn't be here without Harlequin and I think I grew I you know I grew up reading Harlequins off my mother's nightstand followed quickly by um, Stephen King in, in junior high school middle school um, I mean, before that, of course, I had read Encyclopedia Brown and Nancy Drew um, and Clara Barton or Sue Barton, Student Nurse, those books, yeah. those, those, I remember all those, I loved them. Everything by Beverly Cleary, including what would now be considered YA, Judy Bloom. Um, I read all of those and to me, being able to write for Harlequin, that was a dream. That was something, that was just a goal I had. It didn't hurt that I grew up in Buffalo, New York and um, the distribution warehouse for Harlequin is in Depew, which was oh. the suburb over from where I grew up in Chicktawaga. So yeah, Harlequin was just, it was like a, it, it just seemed to me like a natural thing. And I never realized that some people kind of look down their nose sometimes at, at the romance genre and category romance, especially the most common and frequent um, critique of my work that I I had all through all the Harlequin books was that oh my gosh that was so good I wasn't expecting that and yes many sarcastic replies come to mind but that's not going to be fruitful for author reader relationships or for reading in general um and you know I think Jane Ann Krentz has she has really expressed it best why women the, a woman's genre has been poo-pooed and, and all that through the years. And, and I don't feel it is anymore. I'm sure there are some people that do, but um, that's not my problem. Other people's opinions of me or my work are none of my business. I have to just keep putting the stories down. And, and look, I was able to write um, 30 books with Harlequin, 30 stories. Some of those are online reads. Um, I had three other books with a different publisher. I tried to do sexy contemporary. It's it's not me, but I tried. You know, I'm always willing to try any. Uh, and those books had dead bodies too. I think one of them did. So yeah, I I'm always I I was I was like a miner just trying to find where where do I fit? Where's the vein for me? And I I know I found it in mystery. I think um, some people would be surprised to find that many authors that they consider to be um, kind of the pinnacle of success like Jane Ann Krantz and Nora Roberts mm -hmm. got to start with Harlequin and Silhouette. So absolutely. And that, you know, Nora Roberts has had me to her bookstore in um, oh. Boonesboro graciously twice I've signed there. And I signed when, when that happens, you know, you move well over a hundred to 200 books, depending on how many people are at the signing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
I was, I, is it Karen moaning? I sat next yeah. to her for a signing. Mm-hmm. That was wild. I mean, her readers are amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so many, and that was always my goal with, I always thought, okay, I'll write it's, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to have to write 50 to 100 Harlequins. Then I can write, because I looked at Suze Brockman. I looked at, um, um, I can see her face and it'll come to me in a minute. But in mm. Sandra Brown, her work, yeah. I've always loved. I just, yeah. And they all came out of um, Harlequin. And, it, you know, there's no reason for everybody to know that. But if you're mm. a reader, um, you usually know that, you know, and it used to be that people switched names, they took different names, or they had to have the pen name at Harlequin. Um, those days are gone, because I keep asking my agent, do I need a pen name? If it, No, those days are gone. It's your body of work, and readers can always find you. That's the beauty of the digital age, too, is people can go read my backlist anytime. Um, it won't be what they read in a Santa stabbing, but they they'll, it might still be just as entertaining them depending on what they like. I think an author's voice for the most part remains consistent no matter what type of story they're telling. So your Mm -hmm. story may be different when you're writing romantic suspense versus a cozy mystery, but the voice that you're using, I can see your voice Mm -hmm. in each of your books, even all the way back to your first book, A Rendezvous to Remember. And if I understand correctly, that one has been republished or is available now? It was. Yes, it was republished once so far. Um, I'd love to see that one republished again because World War II, I'm married to a World War II history expert, literally. My husband got his his master's in that. And um, I just, I've always been fascinated by World War II. That was a really special book because I wrote that in Belgium. We were stationed in Belgium and um, I found out after it sold, and that was my first book, I got the call when we were stationed there, the home we were living in, um, where I wrote what the room I had made my office, this it used to be a huge country estate, I think, or similar, and it had been divided up into apartments, but still bigger than the average American home. It was the parade viewing room where they used to go to see on the plots, you know, parades and, and different social events. Well, during World War II, the Germans camped there. And so the resistance in the area fired and killed a lot of the Germans one night from, so some, so someone who lived in our house may have killed a German soldier during World War II. And the Germans came back two days before um, the town of LaRue was liberated right around when Mons, M-O-N-S, Mons, Belgium was liberated. They came back and, and took vengeance on on many of the resistance so um and while I was writing that book I I would see you know a couple times a year they still had a very somber parade and would lay a wreath um for those lost and I mean it gives me chills to think about it it was like serendipity to write the book which includes um a whole world war ii plot and including the holocaust and yeah, doing all that research. It's just, it's really interesting to me how things unfold. But yeah, my voice was there. I, I like to think though, my sense of humor, I I don't know if I didn't allow it to come out or I just couldn't write it until now. And it, it seems to be coming out a lot more. And in my, the last few Colton continuity series I did for Harlequin, um, I don't know where it came from, but I, I put in a couple of scenes, one including 
um, the hero losing a tooth or chipping a tooth in the middle of something important. He was, I think he was a movie star. They gave me the story and I wrote it. I loved it. Um, and my editor loved it. She just, um, she, and so that was great to get that encouragement. Um, so yeah, there wasn't too much to laugh at in a rendezvous to remember, but it still had a happy ending, which is yeah, great. It did. Um, you've mentioned a little bit of your reading background. Now that you're writing cozy mysteries, um, do you have your own favorite cozy series that you follow? Cozy authors that you? Um, yes, I love the husband and wife team of Cleo Hoyle. Oh yeah. And I love the Cat in the Stack mysteries. Love, love those. Um, wise and the author, of course. I should have written all these down so I wouldn't forget them when we're talking. Um, I like um, Ellery Adam. I think mm -hmm. she's exceptionally talented. I also just found one, I think it's Juno Black. It's another um, team of writers and they write the Woodland Creatures mystery. Oh, I think yeah. they have two they just, I think Oh my gosh, one just they're darling. It's like yes, the Potter solves mysteries or something. Yes, it is yeah. phenomenal. So well-written and just delightful. And I never, I'd be the first one to make fun of people doing a dog POV or a fox. Mm -hmm you know, but this is, I love this. It's just um, so beautifully done. And I, it's just, it's fantastic. I really enjoy those. Um, I also, you know, I, uh, I mentioned Louise Penny, who's been a great inspiration to me because mm -hmm. uh, I started reading her books and right about the time I came up with the Silver Valley PD series at Harlequin Romantic Suspense. And so um, our local bookseller, Michelle Herring, uh, who was, you know, number one bookseller, independent bookseller for um, RT and RWA different years. And she's just been so supportive of my career. She came back from a book signing where she met Louise Penny and gave me a little pen with a uh, pin with the three pines. And mm -hmm. I have that on my denim jacket. And that's just like, it, it's just like a reminder to just keep writing. And here I am writing a mystery series, you know, two of them now. So, I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. You've mentioned that there's a couple more um, coming in the series of Midsummer Murders, yes. the next one. Yes, a Midsummer Murder. So Angel is doing what a lot of people do here in central Pennsylvania on a hot summer day. They do a creek float. You know, they go an inflatable, I've done it. Um, I'm sure they used to use just plain old inner tubes back in the day. A lot of people kayak too, but you just let the stream take you along. Of course, she's out there with her brother who can, um, he, he can get them into trouble. He has a great sense of humor, but she's trying to do more of that sibling bonding. What, she did a lot of bonding with her older sister. Um, she's the youngest of three with her sister, Crystal, during um, a Santa stabbing. So I wanted to bring out her relationship with her brother and his husband in this second book. And of course she and her brother, well, she, um, they get snagged on something going down the river. It, and it's a dead body. I'm not spoiling it. It's on the cover. The cover's already out there. And then we know the third book is called A Wasp in the Woods. Um, and that was inspired by True Life because I was using my grandmother's hedge trimmers, electric hedge trimmers. Now, these were probably, it's a, it was Black and Decker. Why I hadn't invested in nicer ones before now, I don't know. But I was doing, I was trimming hedges this summer. and. Um, 
didn't know there was a big wasp nest in there, a hornet nest, and I got stung. So, you know, life imitates, you know, art or art imitates life. So anyway, I thought, wow, this would be a great way to kill somebody who is really allergic. And yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Any other projects you'd like to share with readers coming up? Yep. I have um, big news that I'm so happy to say that the Kabasa Queen Mystery Series set in Chictawaga, New York, where I grew up, Buffalo, New York, is coming out in hardcover and ebook in June of, no, July 23rd, 2023 from Severn House Publishing. Oh. They're a UK publisher. And I, to, to sell a mystery series to a UK publisher where I can, you know, I consider to be the birth of the mystery novel is just, wow, beyond my wildest dreams. I'm, I'm one blessed and lucky girl, I'll tell you that. Your books are also distributed in the US. So for readers, yes, yes, they're, yes, um, yes. they're based in Britain, but we do get a lot of the Severn House books of the poison yes. too. That's yes, true. and they most they I guess they started because they're owned by Canongate Books. And as we I was we were talking just before we went live, um, mm -hmm. you know I'm obsessively research everything that I get involved in or don't get involved in. And um, Canongate, mm -hmm. I guess traditionally what Severn House has done is they put um, the hardcovers in North American libraries and and they distribute mostly to North America. So. Yeah, it's very exciting. And the first book um, that comes out in July is The Kabasa Killer. And the protagonist is Lydia. And Lydia, um, she will say that she quit, but she may have been kicked out of pastry school in Ottawa, Canada, a precursor of the Cordon Bleu, um, because she wanted to just make home homemade Polish baked goods. And um, Madame Delphine, who was running it, was trying to teach her, you know, the true art of French pastry. But at any rate, she comes back home and she's going. She wants to open up her own bakery and cafe um, with just featuring Polish American uh, food. Uh, unfortunately, her dad has a stroke right when she gets home at Christmas time, and he's a butcher, and she has to save the family butcher um, business. And she grew up butchering beside her dad. And um, the book opens on Good Friday of Easter weekend, which is um, the biggest selling day of the year for a Polish American butcher shop because of oh. the kielbasa and the ham that will be all part of the Easter dinner on Sunday. And Lydia um, makes a startling discovery of a dead body, maybe in a kielbasa smoker in their backyard because she was using the backyard smoker because she needed to make extra kielbasa so it goes from there and it's actually Lydia and her grandmother that are solving crimes in this series um she and her grandmother are both live sharing a flat above the garage that Lydia moved back into when she came back from Canada grandma's there because she got grandma got taken for a ride by some guy she was dating grandma has an active dating life and is quite the uh hippie kind of mm -hmm. person not a conventional uh, grandma, although she does invoke conventional uh, methods and thoughts and love and all that good stuff. And I will just share that when I asked um, both my, I always ask, what was your favorite scene? Where, you know, what do you think I need to work on? Both my agent and the editor who acquired this uh, 
they chose the bingo hall scene as their favorite. So there is a really exciting, there's actually two bingo scenes in there. Um, that is such a part of where I grew up there. Um, and I also realized this is a love letter to where I grew up and, and the whole area. Yeah, my culture. Because, you know, yeah, yeah, the Polish-American thing, it, it's just part of who I am. Every, my dad's still there. He's 87. He's in, um, in not in Chicktawaga, but still in Western New York. And when I go up and visit, and I like to drive through Chicktawaga, which inspired the whole series. And um, yeah, it's how I grew I grew up hearing polka music on Saturday mornings when my grandma was cleaning. We lived upstairs of her till I was three. And then we moved out to the suburb. But um, yeah, I'm really excited about this series, uh, about both series. I mean, I get to write. I, and that's the other thing I realized, even with having revisions due on two books now, um, which is part of author life, you know, instead of panicking, I thought, gosh, I love both of these. And both of these stories are something that I created that I, they're my babies and I love them. And I'm, I'm just, I feel, I'm feeling the love right now. I, I just had a release party yesterday for a Santa stabbing. Normally I always sign at my local bookstore, which I will be doing in December, but I wanted, I knew back in May, like, like, I should mark that I my first mystery book's coming out. So I thought, well, why don't I have it upstairs of the coffee shop where my husband's a barista? That's what he's he's chosen wow. to do since he retired for now. Like he could change his mind, but he's been doing that the last several years. And so um, my bookseller agreed to bring the book there. And I wanted it to really celebrate all the local readers that came out every single time I had a category romance out which was often several times a year and have always been so supportive of me. Um, and then, you know, some friends and family that, um, that are, you know, it wasn't, I didn't want it to be a hardship for anybody to come or anything, but I just wanted to do a, a fun party. And I did it yesterday and I, I put, so I put it on social media already and all oh, readers can find me on Instagram. Instagram's really my favorite thing because I can post pictures there. It will automatically go to my Facebook page um, and I have a website. And so I keep that updated too, but I'm just feeling so much love. Like people really love story and they love to see an author um, do something different. Everybody's like, I, you know, they enjoyed my Harlequins, but they're really excited about the cozy. So yeah, so I'm feeling real, real blessed today. Now in about a week when, when I'm entrenched in the revisions, I'm not, you know, there won't be any makeup on John. Let's just say that. <laughs> Um, well, I can't believe how quickly time has flown by before we have to end. Yeah. You did mention you have a website and social media. Can you let people know what they are so they can learn more about your books? Sure. JerryCroto.com. So it's G-E-R-I-K-R-O-T-O-W.com. And, um, and all the media, social media links are there. I'm also Jerry Croto on Instagram and Twitter, but honestly, Twitter, I just retreat. I'm usually retweeting other authors' books that are out and Phillies scores, but sadly the Phillies are done for this year, um, but they gave us a good ride. We got, we got to last night, so. Um, well, it's just been exceptionally wonderful having Jerry here to talk about her new book, A Santa Stabbing, which is out and available for readers. I'd like to thank Jerry for taking time to thank visit. You. I'd like thank to you, thank all of you um, listening in to another virtual author chat at the Poison Pen Bookstore. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them 
and your help would be appreciated, please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.